This morning is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 to 14, and can be found on page 1195 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 8. So, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour. Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Maria, thank you very much. It will be an enormous help to you and me to keep that open because we've just said this is the word of the Lord. Um, There's no point coming here to listen to what I've got to say. Uh, But if God is speaking to us, that'll be worth listening to. Uh, And so let's examine what this passage says. Uh, Let me add my welcome to Richards. If you're you're new uh, or if you've just come back from a a summer break, uh, you've jumped into the second part of a series. We're going to be taking the whole term going through this letter of 2 Timothy. It's a short letter, uh, and I encourage you this afternoon, if you're you're not done so already, uh, have a read of it. It'll take you 15 minutes, maybe 20, uh, to read through the whole letter. It's a letter written by an older minister to a younger minister to encourage him to keep going. He's faced trials, he's faced difficulties, uh, problems, and there might be a temptation to give up. But it's not just written to him, Paul expects the church to be reading the letter over Timothy's shoulder so that they know the pressures of Christian ministry because actually, even even though Timothy, the church leader, is facing these pressures, they are pressures that all Christians have to face in some measure. Pressures that might make us think about giving up. And there are all sorts of different pressures, but but I think the big one from today's passage comes right out of the gate in verse 8. I wonder if you saw it. So do not be ashamed. And it comes up again in verse 12. Yet this is no cause for shame. And it's the same word in the original, uh, in the Greek. Uh, And the idea behind the word is the embarrassment or the disgrace someone might feel because they've put their trust in the wrong place. You know, they've trusted something, you know, maybe you put all your money into some sort of an investment scheme, it all goes belly up, you lose all your money, and you feel terribly embarrassed that you were taken in, what a fool you were. That's the kind of shame, the embarrassment, the the disgrace of having trusted something that that turned out not to be true. Put it in modern terms, 
maybe, you might say, to be ashamed is to be worried about being on the wrong side of history. You might hear that phrase. People often use it to say, um, you know, you should be embarrassed about what you believe now because in 50 years or 100 years, the whole world's going to have moved on and you're going to look like some uh, ridiculous dinosaur. You'll look like an old fool because of what you uh, believe or the confidence that you have. Uh, and if you Google wrong side of history, get some good stories. Uh, here's, here's one of the most famous wrong side of history uh, moments that came to pass in, in just a few hours. You might not be able to see it. Uh, there, there, there's a guy holding up uh, a newspaper uh, on the eve of a, on the morning of a presidential election. It says, Dewey defeats Truman. And the, the Chicago Daily Tribune ran that headline. They said, Dewey's going to win the presidency. Very confident. The man who's holding that is Harry Truman, because he won. <laughs> Within just a few hours, all that trust and confidence they'd placed that Dewey was going to win the election evaporated. And what foolish people they looked like on the editorial board of the Chicago Daily Tribune. Uh, there are more serious examples. Uh, maybe um, somebody who lived under uh, a dictator or uh, the Nazi party, perhaps, in, in Germany, and they trusted that they would back them because they thought they were going to win. And then after the war ends, they maybe feel a deep sense of shame and embarrassment about the fact that they backed uh, the wrong side and when things came to light that they were not happy about. And there's a danger or a worry for Christians sometimes that there's going to be that kind of shame that we're going to have. We've lived our lives for Jesus. We've backed Jesus. We've put Jesus first in our choices. And then what would happen if the gospel wasn't true? What would happen if we lived our lives for this thing and it turned out to dissolve under our feet? Wouldn't we look like fools? And yet in this section of this letter, Paul's writing to Timothy, says, do not be ashamed. You don't have to worry about that if you've put your trust in Jesus. You have not put it in the wrong place. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Do not be ashamed. You've not put your trust in the wrong place. Instead, Paul's going to give us some things uh, to say instead. Here's the first one. Stand with confidence in suffering. Stand with confidence in suffering. You don't need to worry that you've put your trust in the wrong place. Although it does maybe look like it was a bad choice in worldly terms. Because here's Paul saying you don't need to be ashamed. You've not put your trust in the wrong place. But did you notice? Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, verse 8, or of me, his prisoner. See, Paul's writing from prison. It turns out that living for Jesus and proclaiming Jesus hasn't meant a smooth, easy sailing kind of life for Paul. He's ended up in prison. And that is also the testimony of many of our brothers and sisters down the centuries and around the world today. Uh, people in uh, North Korea. Uh, people in, um, I don't know, Pakistan perhaps. People who convert to Christianity, follow Jesus, and the states come down hard on them they may be put in prison. It didn't just happen to Paul, of course. If you, you read the Bible, it's the common lot of the prophets to be persecuted. And, of course, we follow the Lord who was crucified. It should come as no surprise that following Jesus can be a rocky road at times. It can be a tough road. And so Paul says, join with me in suffering for the gospel. 
Isn't it great that Paul is up front with Timothy? Isn't it great that God is up front with us in the Bible? He doesn't promise us a life of candy floss, sunshine and flowers every day of the life, of our lives. He says, no, there are going to be hard times. Uh, Sticking with Jesus, standing up for Jesus, standing firm on the gospel is going to mean for Timothy suffering just like it did for Paul. Just like it will for every Christian, actually. And yet Paul is saying, be confident in that. There's no need to be ashamed. The fact you're suffering now is not a sign that you've messed it up, that you've put your trust in the wrong place. Remember that word ashamed? Putting your trust in the wrong place. That Just because you've had a tough life now, just because suffering has come, that does not mean that you have put your trust in the wrong place. Because God doesn't score how successful a life is the way the world does. If you uh, read Christian biographies or listen to enough sermons, I guess, you'll hear lots of stories about people who live for Jesus and because of that, they give up a glittering career. Uh, They give up um, some great uh, prize or some great job or some great status that they had and they say, well, actually, I'd I'd rather give all that up and work for Jesus. And those stories can be inspiring and uh, amazing and they might feel a bit unreal at times. To some extent... All of us, if we follow Jesus in this life, because, like Paul says, join with me in suffering, all of us, in some ways, our lives will be a little bit harder for following Jesus. And if you look at that and think, well, that's, that's a one in the lost column. I've made a mistake. Paul says, you've not understood. No, no, no. No need to be ashamed that you've made a mistake here. Suffering is the ordinary lot uh, of the Christian uh, life. And, and Paul says, you don't have to go through that on your own. Join with me in suffering for the gospel, did you notice? By the power of God. We thought last week about the Holy Spirit, who Timothy needs to avoid being a coward and to help him when life gets tough. Well, every Christian needs the Holy Spirit and the power of God to grow them in godliness, to help them stand firm on the promises of God in the gospel. But that power is available to anybody who comes to Jesus. And he enables us to stand with confidence. Even when, as we look around, we think, ooh, you know, this feels a bit harder than I thought it was going to be. Don't lose heart, says Paul. Stand with confidence in suffering uh, because the power of God will enable you also to stand with courage because of salvation. Look how Paul goes on. He has saved us. That's God has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now, I find this fascinating. Because Paul's trying to say, don't worry, you've not backed the wrong horse. Things aren't going to be a disaster. You're not going to be embarrassed. You're not going to be ashamed in the long term for following Jesus. Now, when people do those sort of, you're on the wrong side of history moments, be careful. You've backed the wrong horse. They almost always focus on the future. You're going to look silly in 50 years. You're going to look silly in 100 years. They look toward the future. Uh, And that's partly because of this guy. Um, He's called uh, George Hegel, he was a philosopher a couple of hundred years ago, uh, and he said that history is this inevitable chain of progress. 
Everything's progressing towards some final goal. And the, the thing he said was, therefore, it matters where we're going. It doesn't really matter where we've come from. And his ideas, although most people don't know that, they, they've sort of infiltrated the society. And so you hear people describing themselves as progressives, which means I'm looking to the future. You lot, you're stuck in the past. I'm looking to the future. A lot of it comes back to this guy. And, and the point about that is they think the past doesn't matter. What's really interesting to me is look what Paul does here. Don't be ashamed. You're not on the wrong side of history. You've not backed the wrong course. You're not going wrong. And he doesn't look to the future. Do you see? He goes to the past. Verse 9, he has saved us, already done, and called us, past tense, to a holy life. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Paul looks back. To assure himself that his future is safe with God, he reminds himself what God's already done for him. In and through Jesus. In a world that's always looking to the future, actually one thing Paul wants to say to us is, don't forget the past. That's your foundation for the future. To see what God's done for you. And Paul doesn't just look to the past, he looks to eternity. This grace, God has saved us and called us, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. How can you have a before time? Uh, It happened before time was even created, says Paul. Because God lives in eternity. And this is so helpful for us when when we might worry that we're on the wrong side of history. We've backed Jesus, but actually it's all going to come to nothing. Uh, God has a view that doesn't just take the short term or the medium term or the long term. God has an eternal view. That's important to remember. The things that today seem so embarrassing that people believed a hundred years ago. Uh, Do you realize that some of the things we believe today in a hundred years' time, they're going to think are just as silly and embarrassing? The only ultimate judge, the only ultimate standard is the one in eternity. The one that God sets. And Paul says, Jesus Christ and his grace that he's brought to us are part of God's purpose. Verse 9, did you see that? His own purpose. The grace that God has given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. God's eternal purpose is displayed in the gospel, Timothy. The gospel you're a minister of. The gospel you're called to proclaim. God's eternal purpose, Christian, is in the gospel. The gospel you have believed. The gospel about Jesus. It might not always be very popular in the world. You might be sneered at or laughed at. I'll put my hand up. I was laughed at. I've been laughed at a few times for saying I believe in Jesus. Doesn't feel nice. If you've had that experience, you'll know that doesn't feel nice. And yet, Paul says, the judgment of today and this room of people that you're in at any given moment are not the final judgment. There's an eternal verdict from God. God has been at work through Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. His purposes in Jesus are eternal. Well, how can we know that, you might ask? How can we know what God thinks eternally? Well, we can know because he's revealed it in time. This grace was given us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time. Then verse 10 It has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, 
who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's an amazing verse. I think it's a verse that's well worth memorizing. Because in the hustle and bustle of every day, in the busyness of the here and now, we can forget there is an eternity. There is immortality. It's come to light. Jesus has proved it by rising from the dead. Death is not the last word. Death is not the end of the story. And that changes everything. Because... If death is the end of the story, then you heard that, that line, what life's all about. The one who dies with the most toys wins. And you heard, heard people say that. Or the one who dies with the most money wins. Or the one who dies with the most whatever wins. If death is the end, then all there really is to live for is in this 80 years, cram it filled with as much experience, excitement, money, possessions, you know, um, good things that you can get. Because sooner or later it's coming to an end and everything's gone. In some way... That's the kind of thing that's behind the... Do you remember the bucket list phenomenon that people had? Do people still make them? I don't know if they still do. But it's a list of things you want to do before you kick the bucket. In other words, I've got to cram as much in as I can. Because I've only got 80 years and then it's, it's finished. It's gone. Do you see how the gospel changes everything? There is an eternity that comes after death that is far more significant than the 80, 90, however many years you have beforehand. Because Jesus Christ has, see verse 10, destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. It changes the way we think about it. We don't have to spend our 80, 90, however many years we have on this earth, just cramming it full with as much experience as we can. We can live a life for Jesus. A life that embraces suffering even. Because we know there's an eternity after the grave that's far more significant We don't have to get every inch of excitement out of 80 years. And actually something else happens. I've said it, stand with courage because of salvation. And Timothy's going to require courage. And any Christian who's going to stand on the gospel is going to require courage. But you see, if there's an eternity to come that makes this life seem less ultimate... It means you can face the hard things in this life with courage because you know what's to come. Um, There's a definition of courage here. You might not be able to see it uh, from a guy called G.K. Chesterton. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live taking the form of a readiness to die. It's a good definition of courage, actually, that. Somebody will walk into the hard thing maybe even the, the, the dangerous, life-threatening thing, and they'll do it for the sake of protecting life, preserving life, uh, wanting some good to come out of it. That, that's, that's courage. Do you see how the gospel makes that possible? Because Jesus Christ has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And the early church is filled with examples of people who went to their deaths Boldly, bravely, confessing Jesus. 
Uh, I've told the story before about Polycarp, who was on trial in front of a Roman proconsul, uh, and he was 80-odd years old, very old and frail, and he threatened him and said, I'll get the wild beasts to come and rip you apart unless you deny Jesus. He says, I've followed my Lord Christ for four and 80 years. He's never done me any wrong, and I won't deny him now. Where did he get the strength, this frail old man, to do that? He knew verse 10, didn't he? Jesus Christ has destroyed death. He has nothing to fear from the wild beasts, ultimately. He said, I'll I'll burn you alive. You threaten me with fire that lasts a moment. You know nothing of the fire that lasts forever, said Polycarp. That courage comes from this gospel. And if Paul's going to have to, if Timothy's going to have to face hard things, just like Paul did, and if we're going to have to face hard things for standing up for Jesus, we need to have that truth firmly, deeply embedded in our hearts. We need to know it deep down. Stand with confidence in suffering. Stand with courage because of the salvation God has brought. Jesus has died and paid the penalty of sin and risen again to new life to show that there is an eternity for us. Third point now. Stand convinced of Paul's gospel. He's given Timothy reason, reason in the gospel to stand with him, to join him in suffering. And then the last four verses, I don't know if you noticed as it was read. Do you notice how there's a shift from we and are to I? Verse 11, of this gospel, I was appointed a herald. Verse 12, this is why I am suffering as I am. I know in whom I have believed. He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him. Verse 13, what you've heard from me. Paul makes it personal at that point. He's reminding Timothy that it's possible to keep being faithful to Jesus. To keep standing up, just as Paul himself has done. And he's encouraging him to follow in his footsteps. Paul knows he's been given a mission. Do you notice verse 11? I was appointed a herald. When Paul met Jesus, if you don't know the story, it's in Acts 9, you can read it, on the Damascus Road, Jesus commissioned him. He's going to be the one who's going to take the gospel out to the nations. And he told him he was going to have to suffer. And Paul says, yeah, that's why I'm suffering. Jesus gave me a mission to go and proclaim the gospel and said I would suffer if I did it. And the fact that I'm suffering tells me that I've done it right. And just as Paul says, I'm going to take out this gospel that some people are not going to like, some people will respond to. Some people will uh, embrace Jesus and find that immortality that he offers and what a wonderful gift it is to be able to hold out to others. Uh, But some will not always enjoy it or accept it. And Paul says, I'm suffering because I've not changed the message. I've been faithful to what I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher of, in verse 11. That's why I'm suffering. And it's no cause for shame. Because I know God, says Paul. I know the one who raised Jesus from the dead. I know the one who makes promises and keeps them that there is an eternal life on offer for all who trust in Jesus. I know he is faithful to his promise. 
And then in verse 13, he says, So Timothy, what you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Follow in my footsteps. Yes, it might be a hard road. But let me tell you, it's the right road. And suffering now is better than shame forever. Because if you don't follow Jesus, then you really will be on the wrong side of history. Because God will keep his promise. Jesus' resurrection proves it. So guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it. Don't change it. Don't make it more acceptable so that you can avoid the suffering, Timothy. Keep it the same. Follow my teaching, says Paul. The thing is, Paul still gets a bad rep. Uh, when I was in Rochdale, I had a number of people uh, as a curate uh, who came up to me and they, they liked the idea of Jesus, they liked the idea of Christianity, but the number of people who would say, but I do have some trouble with Paul. There's this image out there that, that Paul's this kind of nasty man who's twisted the gospel in some way. You might come across that idea. Yeah, Jesus was great, but then Paul came along and he made it all. Do you see, this is not true at all. Nothing could be further than the truth. Paul was so faithful to the appointment Jesus gave him back in verse 11 that he was willing to suffer and go to prison. And he didn't twist one word. And he did it with faith in Jesus and love in Jesus, as verse 13 says. Did you notice? Keep the pattern of sound teaching that he gave, and he gave it with faith and love in Christ Jesus. To stand with Jesus means to stand with Paul. And that might mean suffering. But it's better to suffer now than be ashamed forever. Because God's eternal promises will come true. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus prove it. It's a wonderful and a glorious hope. Don't be ashamed of our side of history. If you want to be on the right side of history, don't be on the wrong side of Jesus, which means being on side with Paul. So here is Paul to this younger minister, Timothy, encouraging him to stand confidently, even when suffering comes. To stand, remembering what God has done in and through Jesus. The salvation, the grace that he has given us. That he's destroyed death and brought life to light. Stand with Paul in prison. Because his message is the authentic gospel message. What can we take away? Well, I guess for us, there's a similar application, right? In a world which wants to have a go at Paul, are we as faithful Christians who follow Jesus going to say no? Paul was a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. He was faithful in discharging his duty. If I'm going to stand with Jesus, I'm going to stand with Paul. I'm going to be loyal to Paul, just as I am. Uh, Because being loyal to Paul is being loyal to the same gospel 
uh, that Jesus gave. That means we're not at liberty to change the gospel. We must deliver the same message that he did. What else can we take out of this passage? Well, here's one thing, personally, I'd love you guys all to be doing. To be praying for me and, and your other ministers here, and to be encouraging them to model their own ministries after Paul's life and teaching. That verse 13 would be true of us, that we would keep as the pattern of sound teaching what we've heard from Paul, what's written down for us in the New Testament. Because we want to be on side with Paul, because that's being on side with Jesus. And that's being on the right side of history. Another application, if we're going to do this work of being loyal to the gospel, we should expect suffering to come. And we should pray that God will help us by his power to endure under hardship. That's what verse 8 says, isn't it? Join with me in suffering by the power of God. But also know this. Because it could feel a bit downbeat that, oh, we're going to suffer. Do you realize God has given us power through the gospel, through his Holy Spirit, to stand for power and courage that when the world says, no, you must go this way, to say no. To take that stand. The power of God is there for Christians. What a wonderful truth. And the gospel hope will never be put out by suffering. As I close uh, this bit of our service, this sermon, I think I want to remind us of the gospel and the power of the gospel, which is where our, our hope should be. And the thing that we need to keep our eyes fixed on, our hearts dwelling in, because it's that gospel that will enable us to stand with confidence. So I'm just going to read again from verse 9, second half of verse 9. This grace, the grace of God, was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Do you know that? Do you believe that? Do you, do you trust that God? If you trust him, you will never be ashamed. For your eternity is safe in the hands of the one who's destroyed death. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for giving us these realistic sections uh, uh, in, in, in the Bible, these realistic assessments of what life following Jesus often looks like. It is not always easy. Thank you that you're up front with us about that. And yet it is glorious and wonderful. There is grace given before the beginning of time. There is life and immortality that can never be 
crushed by the grave. Thank you that Paul so faithfully brought that message to the people he met. Thank you that he encouraged Timothy to continue guarding that good deposit of gospel truth. And we pray that we would be those who will follow in those footsteps, keeping that same pattern of sound teaching, keeping that same life of faith and love. By your strength, by your power. Because we know ultimately there will never be shame in that. Eternally we will be secure. Thank you for those things. In Jesus' name. Amen.